Hello, hello, hello. Uh, Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the podcast that is for, uh, educates about, and is working towards building a true people's liberation movement. And uh, hopefully, probably not in my lifetime, but maybe uh, a true international proletarian revolution. That is uh, us at In Defense of Liberation. I'm working at, I'm working on making that a little bit more flowy and a better catchphrase, but we'll get there. You know, it's all, it's all a process. Um, so how's everybody doing? Um, I know it's been a while. Uh, I haven't really had the energy to record and when I have had the energy, I haven't had, like, the brain capacity to do so. Because, I mean, I don't know if you guys work, like, a mind-numbing job. I work at a smoke shop where if we're, like, not busy, if we don't have anybody in the the drive through if we don't have anybody in the store, dude, I just sit there. I just sit there. I'm not allowed to be on my phone. Somehow I've gotten away with reading for a while, but that's it. So I have to just sit there and read. Some nights, like Saturday nights, we're open until 9 p.m., right? I sit there from like 5 until 9. Not a single customer comes in. I'm not allowed to be on my phone. I can read, but then eventually I feel like, oh, if I sit here and read for long enough, they're going to yell at me like they yell at me for being on my phone. I haven't gotten yelled at for reading yet. Maybe I shouldn't read for as long periods. So I have to get up and then just like stroll around aimlessly because like, I mean, it's not a very big store so I can clean it entirely in a half an hour. But like, so there's like a part of you and I'm sure that if you work like a job like this, you understand there's like a part of you that has to like turn off when you're at a job like that. Like you basically have to like turn off your brain and just kind of go like cruise mode, like autopilot all the way through the rest of your shift. Because if you're like conscious and paying attention, dude, it's so boring and it takes forever. And like, I just want to go home. So I end up just sitting there thinking about like all the stuff that I want to do when I'm at home, right? But then here's the thing. And for me, especially because what I'm thinking about is usually like, oh, I want to write about this or read about this or record about this. But here's the thing. You get home at like 7 p.m. Uh, and I work I work mid-shift, so I work 10 to 7, middle of the fucking day. Uh, six to seven days a week, right? When I get home, I like... It's so hard to jumpstart my brain again, right? So like I might have stuff that I want to do. Like, you know, I've been reading a people's history in the United States and loving that. So maybe I'd want to, like, keep reading more of that, right? Nope. When I get home, dude, all I want to do is um, totally not smoke weed um, and just go to sleep or do anything that makes me feel like I'm sleeping. Like, just go back into that autopilot mode. TikTok has been, like, great for that, right? But here's the thing. That's, like, not good. Because now, when I'm going to record, or when I'm going to read, it's almost like a part of my brain has been, like, scooped out. 
Like, I find myself having to reread pages over and over again that I shouldn't because my brain can't focus on them. I find myself getting confused about, like, easy topics when I'm trying to have a discussion with friends. I can't seem to, you know, come up with a good enough point or explain myself out in any kind of eloquent or linguistic way. I just sound like I'm, you know, babbling and just repeating um, talking points, which I hate because I absolutely hate that person that's like, you know, just regurgitating information that they read on the internet. Because one, every time that that person is wrong, like they just look like a fucking buffoon because as soon as they're first point is disproven and I know this because I used to be a liberal so this used to be me Um, once their first point is disproven they have no way of like coming back but they don't shut up because they still think that they're right so they just keep going and it's like whatever I hate being seeing that person right and I found myself becoming that person to some extent like at least I've kind of hit like this critical point where like, okay, I've educated myself on like the very foundations, the basics of a lot of this stuff. Now I kind of got to go a little bit deeper because I can explain in the abstract maybe how socialism works or how a government should be structured, right? But then if somebody says, oh, here's this problem, how would you be able to handle that? I don't have the expertise to explain how, say, socialism or communism or a certain economy style would be able to resolve certain problems, right? Because I don't have the technical understanding. I have the broad understanding of things, but I don't have the technical understanding. And that's what we're working towards right now. That's why I rebranded and did In Defense of Liberation, because right now we're educating ourselves about people's liberation. We're educating ourselves about movements that have existed all over the world that exist to this day, the lessons that we can take from them and why it's important to keep advancing this struggle. You and me, whoever's listening to this, we're on a path towards becoming more intelligent, becoming more technologically understood. Because if what we're working towards is true structural and systematic change, Well, eventually, if we, you know, are successful in our endeavors and get to a point where we can implement that change, well, boy, wouldn't it be, you know, beneficial to know how to implement that change, what change needs to be implemented. Say we implement some change that we think is going to work in the abstract, we put it into play, it it doesn't work. We got to know how to now address that and create change. We have to know how to self-critique, right? And I would argue, as someone who is studying Marxism, that that is very exclusively a Marxist um, tendency, that self-critique. A lot of other ideologies claim that they do it. A lot of other ideologies try to do it. But because in a lot of cases, and I don't mean to say this in any kind of insulting or demeaning way as to you know cast aside people who do this, But a lot of people tend to have ideological understandings of the world. Like they come up with these broad abstract um, ideas that they think would be good or would help people. And in a lot of cases, those broad 
abstract ideas are not based on the reality where they're trying to implement them, right? That's normal. That's that's what capitalism is, right? Capitalism is an ideological idea that we thought would help people or we thought would help enough people to make it worthwhile. And here we are on the brink of a climate collapse, an economic recession. Most of the country and the world, 3.3 billion people live in abject poverty, right? It doesn't work. It worked in the abstract. It doesn't work in real life because you're trying to take this broad idea and just jam it into reality, like trying to take a circle piece on one of those you know, kids' puzzles and jam it into the star piece. It's just not going to fit. It's not going to work. And that's not because, you know, um, when we're talking about folks on the left, um, that's not because there's some assholes who don't care or they're dumb. It's pretty common to think ideologically, to think broad, to think generally, because it's easier to understand. You know, a lot of these concepts, a lot of these ideas that we're, we're trying to surmise can only be, you know, built in the abstract. We live in a capitalist society, one that I should say is wholly resilient and uh, determined to eliminate any kind of deviation from the norm, right? So these ideas can only exist in the abstract for the most part without, you know, an army or a, a population which is fighting for those ideas. So right now it's pretty common and pretty understood why we would only be able to come up with ideological solutions. But at the same time, even though that might be the case, if we're not working towards, you know, combating that, if we're not working towards struggling in real life and organizing and fighting for these changes, then we're only ever going to be able to be ideological, non-realistic, abstract thinkers because we're not going to have the reality, we're not going to have the ability to put these ideas into play to put these ideas to the test and see which ones come out and work and see which ones fail. That's precisely what every revolution, every, you know, national liberation movement, all these things have intended to be. They have an idea and they say, this idea goes against the way things are. And so the only way that we're going to be able to figure out if this is going to work or even if they're not at that point, even if they're just saying the only way that we're going to be able to see what we want is by fighting for it and making it happen, that's the only time that we can take those abstract ideas and put them to the test and see if they are realistic, see if they are principled. And then from that point, right, the whole objective is to then re, you know, not, um, to kind of recoil back and say, okay, you know, we fought, we, you know, if you're successful in your revolution, now we've implemented this new government, what has worked so far, what hasn't worked, what we, what do we need to address? Because again, if what we're looking for is true structural and systematic change that is going to be sustainable and actually is going to solve the problems we're facing in society, help people, not just say that we're trying to solve these problems while only mitigating symptoms or saying that we're trying to help people and just 
throwing money at them while not ultimately changing what is causing their problems, then again, we're remaining ideological. We're not self-critiquing. We're not evolving. We're not progressing. And if what we're trying to do, if what we're trying to do is actually help people and actually create this systemic and sustainable change, then that's something we have to do. We have to evolve. We have to progress. Um, so one thing, and then I'll kind of get into the meat of this because I've basically been rambling to this point. But one thing that is very common, and again, it's because, and it's explained very well in the book, The Communist Necessity by uh, J. Malfawad Paul, um, but just for a brief summation, there, there's kind of, there's a necessity for communism in uh, extremely impoverished places that some folks in first world countries, some folks in privileged centers of capitalism can't really comprehend, right? For a lot of academic folks or a lot of more upper class folks in places like America, um, communism is this idea, right? Um, it's this conception of the way the world could be and, you know, kind of what it would change about society, what it's working towards creating. It's all abstract, right? But like I said, in some places in the world, this communism is a necessity. In places all throughout the global south, where they have become the new slaves, and even that, the word new, is really, you know, not true, because the third world, quote-unquote, the global south, has been enslaved to capitalism even before capitalism was a thing, right? They've been enslaved in any uh, estimate since the early 1400s, these places in the global south. Maybe not all of them at once, but even still. So this, quote-unquote, new enslavement that we see of the global south uh, throughout capitalism is one that creates a necessity for communism. These folks are so impoverished, suffering from so many problems which are incredibly out of the hands of not only the very people suffering from those problems, but even in some cases of the democratically elected socialist governments which are trying to implement, so, you know, socialism. It's, it's even somewhat out of their reach. Like in Cuba, in Venezuela, in Iran, these places suffering from sanctions, suffering from embargoes. Like, do you know how difficult it is to build socialism in a, in a country suffocated and completely cut off from absolutely any trade whatsoever outside of your own country after hundreds of years of colonial and imperial rule that's almost fucking impossible and yet look at cuba look at venezuela look at all these places that are doing it right so it's not only a necessity but it's a requirement for these places among all the odds, they have said, we are going to provide for our people. We are going to build a society that is structured on communal and equitable gains for all, not 
private, individualistic gains for some that in some abstract idea of how people and our system actually works will trickle down to the rest of us. No, as we have seen, every time that capitalism has been said to be doing this, oh, boom, there's an economic crisis. We're in the middle of one right now as the stock market is doing fantastic, right? Millions of people are out of jobs. Millions of people are about to lose their homes. Millions of people every single year go without proper medical coverage, right? This is all the reality we are seeing. And so you can address the reality and you can look at the problems and you can say, okay, we can stamp a band-aid on these problems like Medicare for all, right? That's a band-aid. We can stamp a band-aid on these problems or we can go to the to the root. We can look at the foundation of what has led to these problems time and time again. And then we can address that key foundation, the core of the system and change that and hope, which, I mean, it's not really much hope if you look at places like Bolivia, Venezuela, Cuba, Iran, like, it's it's a reality and expect that these, you know, core foundational changes will lead towards systemic and structural changes. That's a reality. That's a reality which exists today and that's a reality which our country our capitalist country would not like you to think. And that's why we spend so much money and so much time condemning everything that Venezuela, Cuba, Iran, Palestine, all these places do. Everything they do is is bad. And yet, if you look at their approval ratings in their own country, if you look at the poverty rates, uh, like, for example, Evo Morales, in the 14 years that he was president took the poverty rate of Bolivia and cut it directly in half. That is unheard of, unheard of, unprecedented in any other system, right? Land reforms beyond belief, which gave a majority of agrarian indigenous farmers uh, the ability to provide for themselves, which is something that capitalism never does. Capitalism might create a solution for a symptom, but that's always one which requires you to become more and more dependent on that very system, right? So let's get to the meat of what this is supposed to be today because I only have like 10 minutes before I pull into the parking lot at my job. There's two ways that you can fix problems when it comes to government or societal, you know, big big picture issues like we're talking, like mass homelessness, uh, starvation, um, poverty, There's two ways that you can address these problems, and we've kind of hit on them so far. Again, you can apply a band-aid, which is in most cases known as a reform. You can reform the system. You can look at the system that exists, and you can say, how can we make this system work better? How can we make capitalism more pure? How can we do more good capitalism? And that, in and of itself, is doomed to fail. It's a means to an end because it would be like having a broken mixer, putting tape on the mixer that's broken in half, 
and then trying to make cookie dough with that. The cookie dough is going to get hard. The mixer is going to snap. Even worse if the very mixer itself has no power going to it, like most of our government, because all the power is getting sucked out into the politicians themselves. There's a metaphor for you. The reason why reform is not actually going to solve the problems is the same reason why in our own life, if we were to have a problem like, say, our car won't start, and all that we did was go out and maybe put a new can of oil in the car or spin the tires or blow the leaves and the dust out of the engine... That's not addressing... We're not looking for what is causing the car not to start. We're not looking for what's causing the problem. We're just trying to address the symptoms, you know? Um, And so that's why reforms are good in that they, in a lot of cases, give people a chance at life that otherwise they might not have, like Medicare for All would be. But at the end of the day, just like Medicare for All it does not address the thing that is leading to this problem. Because, you know, again, I've said it in different episodes. I've said it in different, you know, blogs. If there is a fire, we're all taught to spray at its core, spray at its base. Why, when we're talking about mass starvation, uh, mass homelessness... Uh, poverty and inequality like this world has never seen before. Why do we take any other approach other than that? Other than the approach that says go to the core, go to the base, find the problem, and solve the problem. Why would we expect anything else to solve the problem if we're not addressing what is causing the problem? Again, We can pass all the reform bills we want. We can pass Medicare for all. We can pass these, uh, you know, uh, Social Security bills. We can pass a new stimulus bill. We can pass all these bills which are supposedly helping people, but we're not addressing the problem. We're not addressing what's causing the problems. We're addressing the problems. That's a mouthful. But it'd be like having the flu and just taking... Uh, Pepto-Bismol for the stomach uh, problems. You gotta take Tamiflu, deal with the whole disease rather than just the symptoms of the disease, right? I think I've explained it in enough different metaphorical ways for us to understand it. There's two ways you could solve problems, right? You can reform them or you can have and I, I don't know if I can use this word considering the climate in my own country, but you can have a revolution. You can revolutionarily up you know have an upheaval of the system a complete rewriting of the very foundation of the system and say okay this system does not work okay or this system contains within it things that create problems we have to address what is causing those problems So you have a complete upheaval of the system, of the foundation, a restructuring, and then a re-implementation of the solutions that you've come to. Not just this, you know, vague, broad statement that we're going to help people, we're going to make things better, we're going to heal, 
It's the most disgusting rhetoric ever because it convinces people that anything is going to get better for them. People, the system that exists today, our government, the United States government, capitalism, does not have contained within itself the solutions to its own problem. It has contained within itself the need for a new system. Capitalism, and we cannot deny this, this is a reality which we are directly able to observe today. Capitalism has led to widespread inequality in a way which we have never before seen in the history of humanity. Even when there were emperors, kings and queens, there was not this inequality. Capitalism has made a system which we are all dependent on. Like if I want to eat, guess what? I got to go to the store and buy food. If I want medical care, I got to go to Medicaid and get insurance. If I want change in my government, I got to elect a new president or a new congressperson or a new senator. It's a system which requires dependence on that very system. So let's get this straight. It's a system which does not work for the majority of people but then says the only way to fix it is by becoming more dependent on that system, by changing more things about that system and becoming more involved with that system, which, again, does not work. How does that make sense? So here's the thing. We want real systemic structural change. We cannot expect that reforms that working within capitalism, that working within American electoral democracy is going to create the, the changes that we need. Because here's the thing, guys. This system has been in control, again, based on whatever your estimates are, about since the 1400s. If this was a system which was capable of granting to the majority of people alive today the changes that we desperately need, I would think that in those 621 years that it might have done it by now right? That would make sense. But it hasn't. And it's not like it hasn't been fought for. On every continent throughout all of history, millions if not billions of people have fought for these changes. And yet in 621 years, we have only gotten reforms. The system itself has not changed. The system itself is built, again, in a way which does not benefit the majority of people. That is because, again, as all of society up to this point has, it is built on a relationship of the oppressed and the oppressors. You have the ruling class and you have those who are ruled over. You have those who are in control of society and those who are under control of society, right? If you're listening to this podcast, hate to break it to you, you're probably not ruling class. I love you. Neither am I. Let's build and let's change that, right? Let's work towards creating a system which does not have those classes, which does not have that separation between ruler and ruled over, right? Let's create an equitable, communal society built on fairness, built on equality, true equality, not just equality under some law which the very government which wrote that law does not follow, but equality built on the very system 
the very structure and the very foundation of society, which says to people, you are a human being, you deserve dignity. I don't care if you're black, brown, white. I don't care if you're gay, straight, bi. I don't care if you're trans, cis. I don't care what what you are. I don't care who you are at the very base of it all, you are a human being. And because you are a human being, and because we have the resources to do so, we are going to provide all human beings with a truly equal, with a truly just, and a truly free life. One of sustainability. One of privilege. Not just, like, what we have to understand is there's trillions in wealth that exists. Trillions, that's a number we can't even conceptualize. That, right now, could create a society which not only are we all provided for, but we are all privileged. That is how much wealth, how much resources exist already. And that is why we fight for socialism. We fight for communism. Because capitalism says, these resources are mine, fuck you. Socialism says, wow, look at all these resources. We can take these resources, we can mine them, we can turn them into things for all these people. We can trade these things in order to make money, in order to create social programs for our people. We can grow things, you know? Imagine, imagine the amount of land that is taken up by interstate highways, the amount of land which is taken up by malls, retail stores, all the golf golf courses, all this unnecessary shit. Imagine if we turned all of that land into eco-friendly, sustainable agricultural uh, practices, agricultural land, which, you know, in America, we grow a shit ton of corn, but guess what? We sell that corn for ethanol. We We don't use that corn for consumption. What if instead we turned all the land that we use for corn, what if we turned that into land that we grew food for American people on. You know, how many people go without a meal in America every single day? Look at all this vast land which could be used to change that. But we don't we don't change it because in capitalism, again, that's mine. In capitalism, someone's allowed to own all of that land, make a profit off of it, while millions of people starve to death. That's perfectly okay under capitalism. And again, you can't deny that because it's the reality we're sitting in. So argue with me all you want. I'm just giving you, this is what's happening, right? Socialism is a system that says, no, that land could be used to help people. And because we are a system, we are a country, we are a nation, whatever you want to call us, whatever point we're at, because we built our society on this idea that everybody as a human being deserves an equitable, dignified life, well, then we're going to take that land for good reason because of the way we structure society, because of the ideology which is present in society, we're going to build that society which actually helps people. Or we have at least, you know, at the very least, we have incentive to do so. Because in capitalism, there is not that incentive. If I spend millions of dollars trying to create a system which feeds people who do not have the money to then pay me for that food, well, then there's millions of dollars gone that otherwise I could have taken and turned into millions more. Because under capitalism, the incentive is money, profit. But unless you make millions, that, that incentive is not enough. Um, but here, here's my final point. 
There's, there's two ways to fix society. You can have reform and you can have revolution. Reform says this system itself is fine. Nothing is wrong with this system other than the few things which aren't going the way we would like them to. Revolution says no. This system at its very core is creating the problems we're experiencing today. This system has built into it contradictions which do not allow for the vast majority to enjoy the splendor, the wealth, and the resources that this system creates. This system itself is wrong and needs to change. That's the difference. And that's what we're fighting for. If you're still listening to this, wow, do I appreciate you. I love you very much, and I wish you would listen to more. So go ahead and check out uh, the rest of what I've recorded. Uh, You can find me in Defense of Liberation on just about every streaming platform available. Um, You might have to search Annoying Question Boy because I was formerly Annoying Question Boy, and I don't know if I have successfully changed that on all platforms. You can also find my blog and for, you know, more importantly, my website at forliberation.wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E, forward slash, uh, website. Sorry, I had to think about it. Uh, so that's forliberation.wixsite.com forward slash website. Uh, and you can find me on all my social medias at In Defense of Liberation. Check me out on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. If for any reason you want to reach out to me, you want to call me a commie bastard, you want to tell me how fucking stupid I am, or you want to be my friend, go ahead and reach out to me at annoyingquestionboy at gmail.com. But otherwise, guys, thanks for listening. I love you all. Solidarity to you all. Solidarity to all struggling people across the world. We have been in defense of liberation uh, podcast about educating for and why and fighting towards true people's liberation and eventually a true proletarian international revolution. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.